to Patients at Risk, a discussion of the dangers that patients face when physicians are replaced by non-physician practitioners. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Bernard, and the co-author of the book, Patients at Risk, The Rise of the Nurse Practitioner and Physician Assistant in Healthcare. I'm joined today by a very special guest, Corinthia Davidson French. Corinthia, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Studies have shown that nurse practitioners and physician assistants are less aggressive than physicians in managing serious medical conditions and intervening when medically necessary. Diagnosing and treating patients with life-threatening conditions where the stakes are perhaps the highest is a scenario where the level of expertise really matters. Non-intervention or failure to act in a situation where medical treatment is necessary may cost patients their lives. In fact, today's guest faced that exact situation. Corinthia Davidson French nearly lost her son when a nurse practitioner failed to properly diagnose his life-threatening medical condition. Corinthia, can you share your story with our listeners? Yes, thank you. My son at the time was 24 years old and he developed this onset of swelling in his eyes, fatigue, headaches, diffused rash. So he called his doctor to make an appointment The doctor happened to be a pediatric doctor, so they rescheduled him with a a family nurse practitioner. The nurse practitioner uh, looked at his eyes and referred him to an ophthalmologist. Well, the ophthalmologist didn't see anything, no problem, so he went back to the nurse practitioner, FNP. And during that time, he had several visits with the nurse practitioner. There was no blood work done. There was no uh, workup done. So at that point, I was becoming very concerned because my son just didn't, he said he wasn't feeling good. So he reached out to me. And when I got to his apartment, my heart dropped because he just looked terrible. And so at that point, I just took my son to the emergency room because I was really concerned about his health. That's when we ended up going to UC Davis, where we were told that he has very severe aplastic anemia, which is a profound lack of blood in the body. And so it was it was heartbreaking to find out that this had this was going on with my son. And you wonder if maybe getting him diagnosed sooner might have, well, certainly would have spared him the suffering that he went through before he was diagnosed, but it also may have made it easier for him to get the proper treatment. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It, she had have actually referred him to a primary doctor, I felt that that would have actually helped them. Right. And wouldn't have had to wait until it was a drastic situation. Absolutely. So just to recap, so your son's 24, he was seeing a pediatrician because he was healthy and he was just getting checkups and then he got sick. So he calls his pediatrician because that's his usual care, uh, the person who takes care of him. And they, the office says, well, we don't take care of kids that are over like 21. Let's say he's 24. Right. So we're going to have you see, uh, instead of a physician, we're going to have you see a family nurse practitioner. Was that at the same clinic? Yes, it was. So instead of, so he's had a pediatrician who was a physician and instead of being offered an adult physician, like an internal medicine doctor, right. family physician, he was assigned basically with a nurse practitioner. Correct. And so he goes in and like you said, he ha- was having some problems with his eyes. Can you describe a little bit more what that problem was? The, his eyes were extremely red. The, the pupil was kind of raised, um, like puffy and, and he had some, um, discharge coming from his eyes. At some point, it started to get like a tea color, started to turn 
tan. It was it was not clear. So the, you know, the whites the white. of his eyes were not white. They were correct. They were abnormal colored, and they were hurting him too. Right? He, they were swollen. Correct. But that wasn't the only problem. It wasn't just that he was having eye problems. He was also complaining of fatigue. Correct. Was he having any fever, chills, anything else? He was having chills and also a lot of nosebleed. And nosebleeds. Yes. So we're not talking about just an eye problem. We're talking about eye problem, but a constellation of other symptoms. Correct. So unfortunately, the nurse practitioner didn't realize that something systemic or something going on in his body, she focused on the eyes. And so she sent him to an ophthalmologist, which is a medical doctor that specializes in the eyes. The eye doctor looked at his eyes and couldn't find anything wrong with his eyes per se. And so sent him back to the nurse practitioner. Exactly. And that's exactly what happened. And it was a while in between because he had four appointments, follow-up appointments with her. And it nothing was getting resolved. So he kept going back and saying, yes. I'm not feeling better. Yes. I'm feeling worse. And then every time she didn't do any blood work, no, she didn't do any other medical evaluation. And what, do you get the idea of what kind of instruction she might have given him just to go home and rest? Or what did she suggest that he do about how he felt? She prescribed several eye medications. And there was pro- roughly three different eye medication he was prescribed. And none of them was working. So really, she kept focusing on the eyes, it Correct. seems like. And even though he was having other symptoms. Yes. And those other symptoms were so evident because he did address those. He mentioned how he felt sick, I mean, fatigued. He felt how he was had a lot of headaches. And he know he'd been having these nosebleeds. But she insisted on trying to fix what was going on with his eyes. She just kind of got tunnel focused on that, it sounds like. But what was really happening, it turned out, was something really, really serious, which is called aplastic anemia. Mm -hmm. And to explain that to our listeners, you did a great job of saying a profound loss of blood in the body. So I'm guessing his white blood cells were extremely low. All of them, his red blood cells, his white blood cells, his platelets. So basically, by the time we got to the emergency room, he had to have a transfusion. So his bone marrow, basically all blood in the body is produced by the bone marrow. His bone marrow just stopped producing blood entirely. So having nosebleeds because his platelet counts were so low. Mm -hmm. He was fatigued and and he couldn't clot. He was fatigued because he had no uh, iron. He had no red blood cells in his body and enough to circulate to give him energy. And of course, he had low white blood cells, so he was at high risk for infection. Thank goodness you went to check on him. It was heartbreaking to see him, and I was overwhelmed, and I was just so concerned that I would lose my child. So you Um, knew right away, like when you laid eyes on him, were you, I mean, obviously you took him to the ER, but like, what were your thoughts when you saw him? It was scary. It was extremely scary. He just did not look okay at all. My concern was just getting him to the emergency room to find out what is going on. So I'm glad I was able to get him there and that we were able to find somebody to actually address what was going on. And we got, we know now what was going on with him. Someone to make the proper diagnosis because someone wouldn't think of a person just had some eye problems that they would actually have this serious disorder, but actually he had many more symptoms than just the eye problems. It's just that the practitioner did not really just kind of stopped thinking about other possible causes and just focused on one symptom, unfortunately. Correct. 
Correct. So you got to the emergency room. They drew, they did some basic blood and immediately it was pretty obvious that there was a serious problem, health problem here. He got blood transfusions and then I'm sure they called in a team of doctors, a blood specialist and uh, started him on some treatment. And, and how is he doing now? He's doing well. Thank you. He's doing well. He has a, a really good oncologist, been very supportive and has him on a good regiment to stay healthy. He is still monitored. He's yes. being monitored by them. You know, and Did he, he has have his, to get a bone marrow transplant? Praise God. No, he's on the list. Okay. okay. So that's the most important thing. He is still on the list on waiting, but right now he is currently, he is in remission. So I'm thankful with that. Let's take a second to put out a plea to everyone out there that there's any chance that you can go on the bone marrow registry list. It's so important. There are patients across the country that are desperately waiting for bone marrow transplants. And Corinthia, do you know much about how someone would get on the list for that? Yes, there is a registry that's out there is called um, Be The Match. And most importantly, I would like to share to everyone is that a lot of minorities have a difficult time finding that match. So it is very helpful and beneficial if they go out and at least be tested. They do go through a screening process. So so they want to make sure that um, the person who's going to be a donor meets the criteria. But however, it is important for minorities especially, but everyone. But I, I do want to say minorities are the ones who normally have a difficult time finding that match. It's so true. And, you know, a lot of people are scared of the idea of donating bone marrow, but I have to tell you, uh, I haven't done it myself, but I've known many people who have, and a good friend of mine that did it and told me it's not that bad. They give you, no. they numb you up when they do. And and just because you go on the list doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to get called right. to donate bone marrow. I mean, that's going to be just a minority of people might actually, they might be called up that they're needed. So first of all, there's nothing even to worry about, about getting screened. I think they just do a cheek swab don't they for uh, that? Yes, they do. Yes, it's the new process, very easy, very simple, no needles. They do the testing and um, they let you know if you you would be a candidate. Right. And if they do call you up, then the, of course, they would explain to you how the donation happens, which is usually uh, a, a small injection of numbing medication. And then that using a, a special needle, they remove some bone marrow. Usually it's from your hip mm-hmm. um, and it's done very minimally painful and you could save somebody's life. So everyone, but especially people of color, really your bone marrow is desperately needed. So please consider looking into becoming, at least getting your name on the registry list to potentially be a bone marrow donor because you could save a life. So uh, thank God your son didn't actually need that. And uh, yes, um, but I'm, I'm so glad that he's doing well. And, you know, speaking of people of color and minorities, um, we talked about how there's a more of a need for bone marrow, but also mm-hmm. there's more challenges in healthcare in general for people of color. We know that yes. there, you know, COVID-19 has certainly showed us that if not many other mm-hmm. aspects of health, there's a lot of bias that happens. And one of the things that we point out in our book is that when we use algorithms, which mm-hmm. is when you just go down a checklist where you try to make a treatment for a patient without actually looking at them as an individual, you're more likely to make mistakes and you're more likely to be biased against mm-hmm. people of color. And so that's one of our concerns when it comes to practitioners who are trained under an algorithm type mm-hmm. model, that there's a more more propensity for that to happen. Have you uh, seen any other 
evidence of, of racial disparities or what, what would you advise to other people of color when they're navigating the healthcare system? I would say definitely make sure you educate yourself. Make sure you get the information you need. You have the opportunity to really kind of be invested in your health. So I think it's important that you do the research, look it up, ask a lot of questions about who is going to be caring for you. And also too, with the resources that are available. So I say, look into it, ask questions, invest in your health, find out about what programs, find out the training in those facilities or where you're going, because a lot, just like where my son went, was a clinic. And the clinic was in a low economic area. So therefore, most of the patients are not aware of the what are the requirements or what is the training, the person in that facility, how much training do they have? So I say it's very important to invest. And you're so right, because I my first job out of my residency was at a federally qualified health center, which is a, a type of clinic designation for people that are not of, of high socioeconomic means. And these clinics get a lot of federal funding, but you know they also charge patients and they take insurance and Medicare mm-hmm. and things like that too. But one of the things that I learned when I worked there was that they have a certain ratio in order mm-hmm. to receive federal funding, they have to hire, especially if they're in a rural area, they have to hire a certain proportion of nurse practitioners and physician assistants to physicians. And so I worked in a rural area and I remember we were really busy. The patients were very complicated. And so I asked the administration, can we uh, try to get another physician to help us? And I was told we can't, we have to hire another NP or PA Mm -hmm. because if we don't, we'll lose our funding. And that was something that was established in 1977 with the Rural Health Clinic Act. And it's a, a federal governmental policy that it continues today. So people that are utilizing these health clinics, they may not have an option because they may find the only healthcare practitioner at that clinic, or the majority of them might be non-physician practitioners. Mm-hmm. So you need to know that. And if you have a simple problem, maybe that would be okay. But mm-hmm. if you have a complicated problem, if you're like Corinthia's son, who's not getting better and keeps going back, that's a time when you need to ask, is there a physician that can see me and help me help you investigate this a little more to find out why I'm not getting better? Correct. Correct. Most definitely. And it's important that patients speak up. And I also say it's very important if you have a doctor and they didn't transfer you or schedule with a nurse practitioner, you have the right to say, well, I would like to see a doctor. As a patient, you should also make sure that your voice is being heard. It's so important. And even it's so funny, Corinthia, because you would think like, well, doctors have special privileges because we're doctors and we should treat each other all a certain way. I have heard so many doctors tell me that they made an appointment with, let's say, a specialist. Let's say they're a family doctor like me. They make an appointment with a specialist and they get there and there's a nurse practitioner or a PA. And this is a doctor. So mm-hmm. imagine if they treat you know doctors who you would think would know better to, and give a fight. How are they going to treat the average person that doesn't know that? So I think the squeaky wheel gets the oil and you, like you said, you have to ask for it. And then if you show up and they just replace, you made an appointment with a doctor and they put you in with a non-physician, then you really, you know, I don't want to say raise a stink, but you kind of need to, because this is your healthcare. This is your life on the line. And yeah, you might have to rattle a few cages and say, this is not okay. 
you're going to pay the same thing. That's the other thing that most of the time people don't realize. You don't pay less necessarily to see a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant. Often you pay the exact same, the same copay, the same office visit charge. So why would you, why is it okay to get lesser quality or lesser trained person if you're paying the same amount of money? Absolutely. I definitely agree with you on that one. And a lot of patients don't realize that. Patients need to be really uh, mindful and know that they have those rights to see a physician. So I really think it's important. Corinthia, did you know anything about this stuff before this all happened to your son? Like, had you even heard differences between the different professions? No, this has been an experience. And this has been very educational for myself because no, I didn't. And it's just from my son's own health crisis is what I learned and understood the importance and the difference between the two. And I will say I, I was not aware of it, but I've had people in my life who's able to also educate me and help me understand the differences. So I really feel uh, fortunate that I had somebody. And that's why I say for patients, it is important if you have that person Allow them to give you the information. I mean, it's embrace that information because it is very important. That's how I learned. That's and especially because if you don't have someone in your life, let's say, who can explain to you what the difference is, you might just turn on the TV and you might see a TV commercial that says, we choose NPs. And it would be, uh, there's a whole uh, campaign that tries to tell patients that nurse practitioners are just as good as physicians. They have, they have the best, the same outcomes as doctors. And the same thing for physician assistants, they have a slogan called your PA can. So if you're just a regular person and you're not in the healthcare world and you turn on the TV or you open up the newspaper and you see this big article and you just say, wow, okay, well, a nurse practitioner and a PA, they're the same as a doctor. They're just as good as a doctor. You call your doctor's office and they say, oh, we're going to put you in with the nurse practitioner. We're going to put you in with the PA because the doctor's busy, let's say. And you just go, okay, no problem. Because you don't know. So it right. that's, and I think that's why, I, and I want to thank you so much for telling the story because I know it's not easy to remember what a tragedy this could have been if things had not turned out differently. But it's so important to speak out and to explain to people that, no, there is a difference. There's not to say that nurse practitioners and physician assistants aren't good care providers and can't be an important part of the healthcare system. But if you have a serious health problem, then you should be seen by a physician because a physician is the person that has the highest level of education and the most years of training so that they don't miss something like your son's aplastic anemia that is life-threatening. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I say for all patients, it is very important to make sure that they ask a lot of questions, make sure they look through the, into the background and make sure that, let's say, if you have scheduled to see a, a doctor that is not switched on you. So and you have that right to say, well, I want to see a physician. You yeah, know, never be afraid to ask for a second opinion. And that goes for doctors too. If you're seeing a doctor and you're not comfortable with the care or you you aren't getting the answers that you need or you're not getting better, then it's always appropriate and it's perfectly fine. Any reasonable doctor, nurse practitioner, or PA is not going to be upset or angry or offended if you ask for a second opinion or to see a specialist because it is your health on the line. And if you don't advocate for yourself, then who will? Absolutely. Absolutely. Unless you have a good mama like Corinthia that comes to your house and says, uh-uh, this is not okay. Right. Absolutely. Yes, <laughs> That's what absolutely. we all really need, right? Yes. Well, I want to thank you so, so very much for joining me, for telling your story. 
And I also want to encourage all of our listeners out there that if you'd like to learn more about this topic, we have much more information in the book that I co-wrote with my co-author, Naran Al-Ajba. It's called Patients at Risk, The Rise of the Nurse Practitioner and Physician Assistant in Healthcare. It's available at Amazon and at Barnes and Noble. And uh, please stay tuned to our podcast, Patients at Risk, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And we will see you at the next show. Thank you.